This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you are joining us today. This is a special bonus Boston Marathon series. So every Monday for these four weeks, this is the second episode in the series, we are doing some post-Boston Marathon interviews. You will still get the Friday episodes that we're putting out every Friday as well. So two episodes a week, which I'm pumped about. And uh, our first Boston Marathon recap episode was with Melindy Elmore. If you haven't listened to that, go back and check it out. Episode 376, she placed 11th at the race. And she was also ninth place at the Tokyo Olympics last summer. So great episode with Melindy. Always love talking to her. But today, this second episode in the post-Boston series, you are listening to episode 378. And my guest is Adrian Hazlitt. Adrian just ran the Boston Marathon. She placed fourth in the para division, which... By the way, Adrian has been a huge advocate for making sure there is a para division at the Boston Marathon. Um, she is a survivor of the 2013 Boston Marathon bombing and has had quite the journey to get to the start line healthy of this 2022 Boston Marathon. Adrian was a competitive ballroom dancer before losing her leg in 2013 and since 2013, she has become a huge advocate for amputee rights, and now she is a huge advocate for making sure there is a para division in not just the Boston Marathon. That was a huge accomplishment, but other races and events as well. There's so much depth to Adrian's story, and it was a real honor to get to know her on this podcast. She is a motivational speaker. She travels the country and the world and has a message for all of us to not live small and to not underestimate the things that we're doing in our everyday lives, to celebrate the everyday moments. I know that you will take something important and special from this episode. This episode of this podcast is sponsored by Inside Tracker. Uh, I don't know if you've ever tried it, but man, Inside Tracker is changing the game. They are making sure that we are making sure we know what's going on inside our bodies. We spend so much time training for these marathons and races. And look, if your iron is low or something is off and you can fix that with some nutrition or supplements, something that can help you achieve your goals, why would you not want to know what's going on? Inside Tracker was created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, biometrics. Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. So what I love is they will give you the results of your blood work and then they'll let you know, like, are you in the normal range? Okay, maybe you're in the normal range, but are you in the optimized range? I'm actually pumped because I am running a fall marathon and I am going to Get my blood work done with Inside Tracker so I can analyze all that's going on and take any steps I need to take to make sure. I mean, let's be honest, the thing I'm most worried about is the iron because I'm a vegetarian and I gotta make sure I'm getting my iron in and I don't want it to be low because running can be hard. And when your iron is low, it's even harder. So you can tackle these things when you know what's going on. So 
For a limited time, all have another listeners can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. When you sign up, just go to insidetracker.com slash another and use the code another and that will get you 20% off the entire store. Thank you, Inside Tracker, for supporting this podcast. And friends, please enjoy this conversation with Adrian Hazlitt. All right. Well, today on the podcast, I am so excited to have Adrian Hazlitt on the show. Welcome to the show, Adrian. Thank you so much for having me, Lindsay. I'm excited to be here. So excited to talk to you. You just like checked off like such a big dream and you ran the Boston Marathon with Shalane Flanagan. Yes fourth place in the para division, like so many amazing things. How are you feeling? I feel really good today. I, um, I still am writing cloud nine for sure. I just have moments. I think it's starting to sink in, but like in brief little moments, like, oh my gosh, I still have my medal out on the counter in the kitchen. So I see it every morning and every night and, um, I'll have moments to be like, oh my gosh, that happened. Like, oh, that part of me is still sore. That just happened. Like, that really happened. Um, But I'm also just coming out of a really big COVID fog. So it's hard to differentiate, like, this overall soreness and fatigue from that to marathoning. Um, But I feel really good. And it's the only thing that kept me super, super positive and and going through this. I had a really tough case of COVID. I'm fully vaxxed in all the things. But, boy, I was really hard. I was, I had it bad. Gosh, man. I mean, not to say like, thank God it happened after, but like, thank God it happened after the race and not like a week before. I was texting her. I was like, it's totally positive COVID test. And, you know, you, I think the test that I did, um, you have to give it 15 minutes, you know, for it to develop. And I put the little swab in and it was like lit up like a Christmas tree, like immediately. And I was like, oh boy, feeling. I thought I was a little worse than a little stuffy. And then it just was everything from couldn't lay down without like choking on my own lungs to like, it was, it was awful. Yeah. Not, and not to mention though, you're also still like in recovery mode from the marathon. So your body was already in like, kind of like a compromised state. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's why I caught it. Right. Cause I'm vaxxed and all the things, but yeah, when you get done with the marathon, you, as you just said, your uh, immune system is a little compromised. Um, and so it was a perfect, uh, that and hugs and being around, you know, 30,000 screaming people. It was a dream and a perfect, um, a perfect spot for COVID to hit. So <laughs> I can't complain my lifelong dream or almost lifelong dream came true. So I can't complain too much. Your story, Adrian, um, we were, Adrian and I were just chatting a little bit before we started recording and it's like the depth of Adrian's story is just, there's, there's so much here. And so when trying to decide where are we going to go with this interview, it was really hard for me, you know, and I am so excited to hear all these pieces. I think that we should start with Adrian growing up, wanting to become a dancer. And um, I'm fascinated by you growing up with like uh, your parents owning this bookstore and record store. And I'm a huge book lover myself. So that's super exciting to me. Talk to us about your childhood a little bit. Yeah, same, same. I'm a big book lover. Um, I grew up in a little town called Issaquah, Washington, right outside of Seattle. And uh, it was, it's now 
not a tiny town. It's now Microsoft country, but I grew up there when it had one stoplight and was before Microsoft country. And my parents had an independent uh, bookstore in Seattle, which was just like at the time, a 10 minute drive away. Now I think it's like an hour and a half. Oh my gosh. Um, but they had a bookstore and it was just a books and records store. Um, back when records were the only way and not just a hip, like hipster way to listen to music. (laughs) Uh, And it was awesome. It was a great place to, a great place to grow up. You know, you, we had, um, because it was an independent bookstore and there were a lot of traveling artists, illustrators, writers, um, musicians that were coming through. My parents hosted them in our home. So every, almost every night and definitely every weekend, there was like a different band or a different artist or a different writer uh, staying with us and eating at our kitchen table and having dinner with us and banging pots and pans out on the back deck and uh, making music and doing first drafts and illustrations and things on napkins at the dinner table. So it was, it was definitely artist focused um, growing up. And I grew up feeling that like ability to, to really express yourself and be um, someone who, appreciated art. Uh, we didn't have a television because you don't have a television when your parents own a bookstore. That's just <laughs> what you do. Uh, but I remember being, I want to say it was like eight ish, seven, eight ish. And we were over at my aunt's house and snuck downstairs in the middle of the night. Um, well, I thought it was the middle of the night. They just put us to bed early. And I went down to the living room and everyone, all the adults were like staring at this, at this screen. <laughs> And I remember thinking, like, what is that? Like, I didn't hadn't seen a TV before. And that sounds crazy to some people. But like, I grew up, I was born in 1980. I'm almost 42. So the, um, so growing up, like your parents just put you outside and you came in when the streetlights turned on, right? Like it wasn't, we weren't glued to technology like we aren't, like kids are now. So I hadn't seen a TV before and they were all gathered around it. And I hid behind my grandmother's chair and I looked at the screen and it was the, um, I didn't know this at the time, but it was the movie Cheek to Cheek with Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire. Um, And that really stood out to me. So she was doing like, she was dancing backwards and in high heels with Fred Astaire. um, And she had on this like organza gown with ostrich feathers. And I just remember looking at it and thinking, this is what I want to do when I grow up. Like that is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. And then the movie ended and I was like, oh crap. Like I have to go. (laughs) I have to somehow make it back upstairs and somehow I did, but in the attention span um, of a child, which is nothing, you have four boys. So, you know, it's like not a very long attention span. I went down the next morning and put my little fists on the um, kitchen breakfast table and I had my bright red hair and my giant Coke bottle glasses and said, I want to be Ginger Rogers when I grow up. And that was a dead giveaway that I snuck downstairs. The night <laughs> that was, that was okay. I went into gymnastics immediately and, um, and then dance, and I never looked back. I just held on to that dream forever. So what did that look like? You became a professional dancer. You were third in the world, ballroom dancing. This is like, where? Yeah. when did you get to that level? So when, let's see, when I graduated high school, I put out a good case of like ginger, being Ginger Rogers, won't, like calculus won't do anything for that um, <laughs> to my parents. And, and again, we were raised to be artists, right? So like they didn't have a good, they didn't have so much to stand on to be saying that you have to like become an ar- architect or a doctor or engineer or something like that. And that wasn't my personality anyway. I was a theater kid. I was really expressive. I was 
really dramatic. That was back when girls were called dramatic instead of leaders, right? Mm. Uh, and in fact, my name in my household was not used very often. It was I was Sarah Bernhardt. My mother called me Sarah Bernhardt throughout my entire childhood because she thought I was so dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> Just like a whole other mommy issue. But um, and so I put up this big fight to to not go to college right away. And I said I would take a year, which was a total lie. I was definitely not going to go and had no interest in going. But I, I thought a year sounded like a good idea. Like I could sell them on a year, you know, and I would give myself a year. And um, I got a job as a belly dancer and not ballet, belly um, crop top whole thing, 18, 17, 18 years old. Um, I graduated at 17 and took odd jobs. And, and, you know, it was right when shortly after that was right when that Coyote Ugly movie came out. Oh, so I, Coyote yeah, Ugly. Yeah. And all that uh, dancing gigs and was auditioning and, and such and then worked fashion corporate for a little while to afford more coaches and more costumes and more auditions and um, and then finally went pro and uh, then became pro and and took it really seriously. You know, I, I wanted the glitz and glam and I loved dancing. I love music because I was raised in the in the books and records store. I just really was drawn to music, but was not had zero interest in playing an in- instrument. I never learned and didn't have as much of an in- interest in it. So so yeah, I audition, audition, and finally went pro. And then one of my coaches said, if you really want to be the best of the best, you should be in Boston. Mm. And uh, and I said, okay, great. And I sent a VHS tape and and auditioned for that and got it and then was on a plane to Boston. Um, and my I had been married at that time, and my husband at the time had a job that he could transfer. And so I looked, I said, let's go to Boston. And he said, yeah, absolutely. We took a short detour in San Antonio, Texas, where I studied uh, Latin and country uh, and then competed in country for a little bit too, which is really fun. That is so fun. <laughs> can't, can't knock a line dance. Oh my gosh. I'm so fascinated by this. And also, you know, cheering your parents on for not being like, no, we expect you to go to college. Cause yeah, I, I mean, they were, wildly disappointed. Like, I don't want to underscore that, but sure. yeah, it was good. I mean, I had to move out. Like there, that wasn't like you're going to get a job and like supporting yeah. yourself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. yeah. I just feel like in today's society too, I don't, I do think there's a shift, right? Like I think yeah. there's kind of a, there was like when you and I were growing up, I'm just a little bit younger than you. That's what you did. If you're in the like middle class, upper middle class, like upbringing, yeah. like that is what you're doing. You're going to college after school. Yep. Yep, definitely. I was an odd, an odd man, an odd woman out um, by not going. And I, I definitely knew that. And um, I have two older brothers, they're twins, and they went to like this private Presbyterian college and were also artists, but um, doing the thing. And I was like, yeah, hard pass. Okay, so like, where do you think that drive came from in you? Like, you know what I mean? It's like so hard to doubt these kinds of decisions when everybody else is doing this traditional route. And that's a pretty, that like I always say 18 is so young to go to college and like be on your own. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I didn't feel young. I mean, at 18, you still know everything and you're the, you, th- you know, think you're 25. The, that, right. That's the good part. That's why we do these crazy things is make these major life decisions because we think we're so old air quote old and like doing so much. And I'm going to, rule the world and I'm going to be Ginger Rogers and I'm going to be the best in the world. And I'm going to, you know, have this amazing apartment and wear ostrich feathers every day. And, 
you know, you think that's why you do it, right? It's because at 18, you know everything, <laughs> um, but we don't. And it is so it is so young to be out in the world. I mean, my gosh, if I think back to that version of Adrian, like, I, I don't know, to answer your question about where it comes from, I don't know. I mean, it, there weren't, my parents are very driven and, but they're, they play life very, very, very safe. Mm. And like, I cannot stress that enough. <laughs> things and, uh, and so, and same with my brothers and same with all of my relatives. And so I think, you know, we were all adopted and at birth. Um, and I think my drive comes from my birth mom. Mm. She's no longer with us, but, um, I think it comes from her. And I've, I think I've always, always felt that we're like, Oh, I'm just different because of her and that's cool. And so I'm going to do that. Like it was just, I think I just am different because of her. Yeah. I heard you mention before that you were going to write a book about your birth mom. Is that still happening? It is still happening. I don't have a, um, a set publisher right now, or I don't have a publisher right now. I'm still in the writing process, um, and shopping around for, an agent because I, a literary agent, because I do have some publishing houses that are interested. So I have to figure out which one I'm going to go with, but I'm still in the process of writing. And it's, it's a really cathartic experience. I mean, to reflect back on your life. And I keep thinking like, oh, I'm just about ready to wrap it up. And then or like wrap up the outline of what, not the whole book, but like the outline of what I'm talking about. And then something else major happens, like the marathon. I'm like, well, now I have to rework everything. So the book like pieces of your mom are in it, but it's, is it more of a autobiography type book? It's more about my life. And, um, I wrote her letters throughout my entire life, um, wow. hoping that I would meet her one day. And then I found out that she is that almost the whole time she's not been with us. Um, and that was obviously a, a big blow. And, um, and so it's about that and, and what I found out about her and how she passed and, her life story and how much that impacted me. And yeah, and it answers a lot of questions that about how and why I survived. Wow. This is fascinating. I mean, people are going to be running to get this book. Running, pun, pun intended, so. running. <laughs> <laughs> pun intended. Oh, I know. Running. They'll be running. It's not a book on running, yeah. but they're running in it. Yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. Wow. It's kind of beautiful hearing you talk about like how much your birth mother affected and had a part of you surviving. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then also this love for writing and artistry mm. that came from your parents, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I I think I've got I've been able to get to know my birth grandmother recently, and that's been really eye opening uh, to learn as an adult everything about your background. But yeah, I definitely, it's very interesting. I think people who are adopted really learn a lot about nurture versus nature, almost to an obsessive part. Like my brothers and I would grow up and be like, did you know if you can raise one eyebrow, that's, that's nature. But if you can roll your tongue, it's like, there are lots of different things. Like we know all of them. It's very like, what is hereditary and what's not. Your parents, did they, they t tell you from like toddler age, birthday, just like right from the start? I don't have a memory of it. Yeah, that's a, such a common question about like, when yeah. did you find out? And yeah, it's I've known forever. Um, and I encourage everyone to do it that way. There are a lot of we have a lot of relatives who were adopted and some were told later and some found out finding paperwork and like in a closet or something. And Oof. it's just, that's devastating. So I highly encourage people to tell kids long before they think they can understand. It's also fascinating, just like as a parent myself, I always think about 
the nature versus nurture thing. For instance, like if my kid does something like just totally wild and crazy and off the handles, I'm like, is this something I've like, a cult, you know, like, have I cultivated this? Like, you know what I mean? Like, or is this just like who he is? Right. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. I do the same thing, but with my dog. Um, yeah. Because <laughs> I don't have human kids, but I definitely have a dog and I, I do the same thing, confession. Um, but yeah, I, uh, yeah, it's very interesting to me how that all works. And I, given the trauma and, and the things that I've been through in my life, like I have a fascination with um, how the brain works and how behavior affects the rest of your life and how you react to things. And I just have an obsession about psychology and, and therapy and all that. So it's all, it's all fascinating to me. Like I could nerd out on that for like hours and hours and hours if someone lets me talk on and on about it. Did you have a fascination with it before the bombing? Uh, no, definitely not. Mm. No, that came after. And it came when I got a therapist. And started to have like these big aha moments of my own. And I was like, wait a minute. Is that why my friend is, you know, and my therapist will have to remind me like this is like, if you want to go to school for that, you can, but like, this is our time to work on you. Yeah. (laughs) That's probably common in therapy, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely is in mine for sure. (laughs) Well, let's talk about why this Boston Marathon was so important to you. There's so many reasons. I know if you, if you could like sum it up. Why was this race so important to you? Yeah. You know, when I lost my leg at the 2013 Boston Marathon, I didn't know anything about running at all. And that is an understatement. Like I didn't know any family that ran. I didn't have like a distant cousin that ran. If I did, they've never talked about it. Um, I didn't, I didn't know about races. Like I didn't, when you're in an industry like dance that's so like never show up like I would never show up I have wet hair because I just got out of the shower I would never show up with wet hair <laughs> to see my anyone even the members of my family like I would get fully decked out before going downstairs so like to have friends in the running world where it's acceptable to roll out of bed without a shower and sweat all over yourself in flats like that is that would just I just wasn't exposed to that and so so I didn't know anything about running. And when I lost my leg at the marathon in 2013, I knew that the running community was rallying with the Boston Strong message. And I had seen so much of that. And Anderson, right around that same time, Anderson Cooper had been doing an interview with me. And I said that I would one, he asked me if I would dance again. And I said, I'd, I'd like to, like, I would really like to, I would love to. And, and I don't know if I can, but I, I want to. And and he said, if you learn, will you teach me? And I was like, oh, hell yes. <laughs> Absolutely, blue eyes. Yes, I will teach you. Uh, and felt really good to set that goal. Like I felt it in my chest. Um, and this was only three or, well, four or five days after the bombing. And it felt really good to set that goal. And even though I had no clue whether that was going to come true or not, uh, I, I felt really good about it. And so I wanted to set another one. Like I was like, that felt good. I bet if I set another goal, that'll feel good too. So then I looked him dead in the eye and I said, well, maybe one day I want to run the, I said, I think one day I want to run the Boston marathon. And he said, do you think you can do that? Like he was, you could see it in his face. Um, in fact, I rewatched the interview the night before the, before I ran, which was very emotional. And, um, I said, I think I can. I mean, there was one day, there was one year where I, or one time when I wasn't a ballroom dancer and I am now. Um, so I, I bet I could do it. 
And meanwhile, my dad is in the background, like waving his arms, being like, you forged notes in high school to get out <laughs> running the mile, which is true. Uh, I never even did like a single lap around a track or I don't even know if my school had a track. I don't know. And so, yeah, I said the goal and, and then Boston never forgot it and kept reminding me and, and people kept reminding me. So this is my very long answer to your question of why is it so important? Um, I really wanted to give a hug to everyone who is giving their support. And I knew that that was impossible, but I knew that the race I'd already found out and, and learned that the race meant so much to Boston mm. and to so many people, you know, around the world. And, um, there were so many people rallying around us that I just wanted to say thank you in a way, be public and, and make make people understand the love that I was feeling and all of us survivors were feeling. And so that's when the goal was set. And and I it it means so much to me to be able to be a part of something that means so much to this city and this town and this, you know, running community. Um, I had no idea I would fall madly in love with running when I set that goal. <laughs> And I know a lot of our listeners have probably been following your journey on Instagram in these past, like, you know, at least these past several months, you know, in this training. But if you don't know, like, there is a story that goes with these years. Like, it wasn't just like Adrian said one day I want to run the Boston Marathon and like she decided to do it this year. Like, there's so much additional trauma mm. and attempts to do this marathon that led up to this day. So it's not like just the, not just, there's no just about this, but it's not like I set this goal and then I did it this year. There's so many layers that happened before this. Yeah, yeah. It took a lot to get to this start line healthy and um, it took a lot. I mean, I've had so many setbacks on this path to to finishing a strong Boston. And wow, I didn't, I, my, Shalane's and my A goal was to get to the start line healthy. Um, and we knew that was hard. Like it was not something that came easy to me and had not, it had been such a hurdle. Um, and so, yeah, it feels, felt really good just to get to that start line. And I was like, holy crap, this is happening. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like this is actually, like I'm actually, like I took off from the start line and I thought, and like, holy crap, I'm, <laughs> I'm running the race with Shalane. Like this is actually happening. I was just in shock, I think, for the first half of the race. What were the biggest factors in keeping you healthy to get to the start line? You know, I think the biggest factors in keeping me healthy was nutrition. That was definitely a big one. I'm a good eater in the sense that I don't have like these, I think, because of dance for so long. And you're you're quite literally dancing around in a, in a string bikini with... <laughs> with crystals. <laughs> like, and it's, the only thing covering you is a spray tan. That's it. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I always ate a ton cause you're dancing, you know, 14 hours a day, but, um, I've always been a good eater. And, uh, so, so nutrition and just making sure you're getting the amount of calories that you need, because when you deprive, as we're all learning more and more, um, when you deprive yourself of calories and fats, that's when your bones get frail and, and you start getting major injuries. And so uh, that was a big one. And, you know, it helps with Shalane having the cookbooks. And I'm a huge fan of cooking and and cooking from her cookbooks. So that was that was really beneficial to me and have her uh, wise words and right at my fingertips just to be able to say like, oh, I'm feeling really sluggish after my morning workout. She's like, oh, add eggs and veggies like this is going to make you feel satisfied after you and have energy after you eat. And I was like, oh, wow, like that just to be able to 
have that is, is a big thing. And then um, at the very beginning, when we started working together, you know, we've been friends for a really long time. And when we first started working together, she said, we need to figure out what's going on in the inside. So she had mentioned that she'd been working with Inside Tracker, which I was familiar with, because I think all of us who are on Instagram see all these elite athletes working with Inside Tracker. And I was like, oh, I've heard of it. But like, who knows? Because it usually says sponsored if like, you know, they're really that that great because people can say whatever if it's sponsored, you know, and totally. So so I um, I thought, OK, well, it doesn't hurt to figure out where I am. Right. And so I partnered and I know Jonathan Lovett, who founded Inside Tracker, and he's a really good friend of mine. So I was curious about what um, what it was all about. And and I thought, well, if if Shalane loves it, then I'll love it. Like she, it's clearly working for her. She's an incredible runner. Um, and I took a blood test and I found out I was severely anemic. Like wow. not just I think a lot of women here, like all women are anemic or we have run the risk of being anemic because we have low, you know, we lose a lot of blood every month. And, but we, what's missing from that narrative is the why, like why it matters and what you could be feeling or depriving yourself of feeling when you are anemic. So, um, I, I found out that you need to be at like anywhere from the 30 to 200 range. And I was at, and I was at a nine. Wow. And which is like severely bad. And I, I have really high energy just in my personality, even when I'm feeling really crappy. Like I, I just have a, I'm not an always positive person by any means, but I have a lot of energy and I always have in, in life. And, um, so I, I was always, you know, feeling pretty good, but I would get really winded, um, more so than the average bear. I was finding out the more and more I was running with people and, um, who knows how long I was anemic, but, um, but it was really bad. And so we immediately got myself on, we, Shalane recommended a, a liquid iron and I got on liquid iron and then I found out that I was still eating all my greens and I was like, I don't understand. I'm eating all my dark greens and I was eating them all with dairy, which makes you not absorb the dark greens. So I exonated the dairy off of the greens and then started shooting my iron up and wow, did my energy come up? Like I had no idea I was missing that much energy and I was crushing my runs and it was just made a world of difference. So that was a huge one getting to the start line healthy was upping my iron intake. And I'll tell people who are listening, like, especially women, like, if you're always down or always feeling winded or feeling sluggish or whatever, that could easily be iron. Like don't self-diagnose. It's good to, good to find out for sure. You shouldn't be just like downing iron if you don't yeah. know. Um, that'll do the opposite of what you need it to do. But, uh, but it's, it's worth checking because like, wow, it made a difference. Totally. Um, I'm about to get my um, inside tracker like blood panel done too because I'm, I'm going to train for a fall marathon I think and I'm like I'm really anxious to see what my iron is because I feel like I run like okay but nothing great and I know that the effect is crazy like how much is, better you can feel. Huge. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like I cannot stress it enough and Shalane kept saying like yes this is important for your marathon for sure but it's important for life like it's important for your life to feel like you have energy and that all this is going well. My boyfriend, Harry and Shalane and I were joking around and Harry said, I don't know if, I don't know if I can handle her if she gets any more energy. <laughs> Shalane's like, I think you'll deal. Um, I love it. Yeah. It was really funny, but it, yeah, it made a world of difference. You'll, yeah. I'm curious to know what you get back to. Cause it's, it's good to know, you know, if you can, everybody's looking for an edge to be a better runner. 
or better person. So like, why not? Yeah, I feel like um, before in the past when I've got it, it's like low normal. But like, you know how Inside Tracker does it like here, you need to be here to be like fully optimized. So yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I just raised mine to like a 12 before the marathon, which is low. Right? Yeah, it is. Oh, um, but that made that much of a difference. Wow. So I can't imagine what it will be like if when I keep shooting up. So really curious to see how fast I can get. Well, it's funny you said that Harry said that about you because he does like 100 mile distance races. So he has to have a lot of energy as well. Yeah, he has a lot of energy. He's 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 doing just fine. <laughs> How did you all meet? Uh, we met on Bumble. Oh, you did? Did. Yeah. But we joke. We jokingly say that a matchmaker couldn't have done a better job. Like it was so we are so compatible and um, we have so much in common. And when we met. Uh, I was like, oh, we have a lot of mutual friends that are very close. Like our mutual friends are are super good people. Like I thought if you're mutual friends with that person, then like you must be a good person. Mm. Yeah. Um, but we, we have a lot in common and it was really, really easy for us to integrate our lives. I'm super curious on something like Bumble though. Like at what point are you like, okay, I have endured this like very uh, deep tragedy. Like, did he, Harry know that? Like, when did you introduce that part of your story to him? Yeah, that should be a, its own podcast. Because, oh gosh. I mean, not that I don't want to talk about it, but I'm, but I'm just saying, like, I could go on and on about just that. So, I have pictures of my, when when I did. I'm not on anymore, but when I was on, <laughs> Harry's just, thankful that you're not. Yeah, exactly. Just heads up, babe. I'm not anymore. <laughs> uh, but when I was on the dating apps, I um. I put in full length pictures of me, but not running. Cause I was like, I don't know. And it doesn't have your last name. So like, this was a big thing. Like, yeah. do I, you know, I don't want to assume people know who I am, but I don't want to put it out there too. Cause then I was afraid people would just go on a first date just to like, I don't know, meet you or like be curious and then not really be sincere about having a relationship. But then I didn't, I don't know. It's just, but it's hard to tell if I'm in just tights or jeans or whatever. Sure. Um, but then you go on a first date with someone and they're like, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, oh, I'm a public speaker. And they're like, speak about. And like within the first sentence of the date, you're talking about the hardest day of your life. Mm. And that, and yet we're all told on dates to not overshare. <laughs> so, <laughs> so hard. Or like I walk in with a service dog and they're like, what? Um, yeah, it's just hard. It's just super hard. So I, Harry did not know who I was, but reached out, said hi. And then... And then we started talking about marathons and then I guess he figured it out and uh, before we went on our first date. Um, yeah. So he had already figured it out and we had some mutual friends. So that was helpful. Yeah. But it's super hard. Like it was, it's just hard. I can't imagine. You get a guy with that and like, what are they supposed to say? But like, you also don't want to tiptoe around it because it's who I am. But also you can't tiptoe around it because it's what I do for a living. Like, it's just very difficult. Hot mess express coming in fast. It sounds very stressful, honestly. It's really hard. (laughs) Um, Your dog, Fred Astaire. Yes. That's your service dog. How long have you had him? I have had him for, let's see, he just turned six. We met when he was nine weeks old. I met his whole litter. I I had put a thing out um, to a couple of different service dog groups saying that I would love a service dog. And they had said that they wanted to, um, they had wanted to, uh, 
provide service dogs for us Boston Strong survivors. And I had thought that I needed one for in and out of the shower, um, but I wasn't really sure if I did or if I wanted that kind of commitment for a dog. I was a cat person at the time. <laughs> and and, uh, and so I love dogs, but I didn't, I knew it's a, just a very different commitment. And so um, it took me a long time to to say that I needed one. And, and in 2016, I finally decided I did. And those there was like a three year wait for a dog at that time. And, um, and a, one of the guys reached out shortly after I left their offices and said, you know, I'm retired, but I heard a friend of mine was at the meeting today and, and said that you need one and I can partner with you. And so he came out and, um, I met up with him and he was going to get a litter um, of puppies for another group. And, um, I met 10 of the cutest dogs I'd ever seen in my life. And, uh, we were like sitting on the ground with all these puppies and he just wanted to see how I interacted with them and how they responded. And even though they were tiny little puppies, I started to cry about mm. an hour in because I thought this is actually happening. Like now I finally am letting it sink in that I might get a service dog. And, um, and the, as soon as I started crying, Fred came running over to me and like pawed at my eyeballs and was trying to stop me from crying and comforting me. And the other dogs were just doing what they should be doing, which was playing. Uh, and he put Fred on the opposite side of the room and I kept crying and Fred darted right back over to me. And I was like, I think that's him, but he had to pass a bunch of tests. So he and his siblings went into a bunch of different tests and occasionally I would be able to bring him home and I just knew it was him. So, uh, he did pass all of his tests and we've been best friends ever since. He's the life of my love and the love of my life. And He's, he's everything I could ever dream of in a dog and um, so much more. I never knew that a dog bond mm. could be what it is. I had no idea. Wow. That is Sorry. so, so <laughs> cool. It's so cool. I mean, it's, and he's still like, his eye contact is intense. Like we'll just be in line at a coffee shop or something and someone will turn around and look at him and he'll look, he has these bright green eyes and he'll just look directly at them and they'll say, oh my gosh, he's looking at my soul. And I was like, oh, he does that. <laughs> yeah, he does that. So does he make you feel safe? He does. Yeah. I had said that he, when you apply for a service dog, they say, what do you need and what do you want? And I said, I want a dog that's going to make it all better. Mm. And I didn't think that was a thing. Um, but he does. And there's no such thing as all better, right? We all know this, but he has a face that when you look at him, it just feels better. And when you're in a crowd or uncertain or there's a loud noise or someone pops a balloon or it's 4th of July fireworks or uh, having a hard day, he just makes it all better. Oh my gosh. Well, I hope I get to meet him someday. Absolutely you will. He will give you love and kisses. Uh, unlike other service dogs, um, you, well, all, a lot of service dogs are like this. If you ask, he, he'll give you kisses. So, oh, so good. He's amazing. And he, he helps me in and out of the shower so that, and in snow and ice and, and hard uh, to navigate spots. So how does he do that? Necessary. Um, so he's super fluffy as a lot of people know, if you've ever seen a picture of him and he's at a good height, like he's right at about my knees. Um, and when I'm getting into the, so I don't wear my leg in the shower. I sit in the shower and, uh, and because the legs aren't waterproof, um, which they should be, but that's a whole nother subject. And because I'm a below knee amputee, meaning I have about half my calf and my tibia fibia bone is if you make a fist, I know 
it's a podcast so people can't see what I'm doing right now. But if you make a fist and you look at your pointer finger knuckle and your middle finger knuckle, those are like my tibia fibia bones on the end of my leg. And so because those are sticking out like that, uh, if I fell, I could break that. And that's how a lot of amputees become above knee amputees. Wow. So it's very, very dangerous in the shower. So I don't stand in the shower. And if I did slip and fall, even while sitting, um, it can be very dangerous wow. and a very big consequence. So I was really scolded about that. And I'm grateful for that. Um, when I became an amputee, I was, I was scared into making sure that I sat and that's a good thing. Uh, and so when I get in the shower, um, I sit on the edge of the tub. If it's a step over tub, um, obviously different showers, different needs, but for a tub, um, I sit on the edge and Fred is right there and I take my leg off and I hold on to Fred and lower myself back down into the tub and it tugs on his for a little, but it's not like pulling hair and, and then I close the curtain, close the shower curtain, and then he t- he cogs out because he knows where I am and that I'm safe and the water's on. And as soon as the water shuts off and I open the curtain, he stands back up and that height is perfect for me to hold on to. And it's the only dry part, right? So that is where I hold on to, get my wet body up, seated onto the edge of that tub and then uh, dry off as best I can. But my like tushy is still wet and on sitting on a really slippery part. So like you it's really hard to not slip. And so then I dry off my leg and hold on to Fred at the same time and then stand up by holding onto his back. And, um, and then I'm in my leg and able to move around. What a gift. It's a huge gift. A lot less, it makes it a lot less scary to shower. Cause like, you don't want to be scared to shower. You know, you don't want to be, there are a lot of limitations when you're disabled and you don't want to be scared to shower because I run and I need to shower <laughs> and you should shower, but especially when you're sweaty. Very important. Very important. Hey friends, if you're looking for a great way to kick off your mother's day weekend, make sure you sign up for the black Knight Donna mother's day, 5k your way. It is May 7th, 2022. If you're in Jacksonville, Florida, go run it there. It's at 8am. If you do not live in Jacksonville or the surrounding area, You can sign up virtually and your registration goes to support the Donna Foundation, which helps people who are walking through a breast cancer diagnosis. This is a phenomenal organization. Grab a couple of your neighborhood friends or people in your community and sign up for this race. Go to mdyw.breastcancermarathon.com. Use the code Lindsay10, Lindsay10, and that'll save you 10% off your registration. And uh, you can also join team All Have Another. I would love to see more names joining that team. And I will be out here in Raleigh doing this 5K, um, just mapping a little course myself. And if you'd like to join me, if you live locally in the area, send me an email, lindsay at sandyboyproductions.com. I would love to do this race with you. I would love to have some company. So that's lindsay at sandyboyproductions.com and email me and I'll let you know where I'm running it. All right, friends, go sign up, go support the Dinah Foundation and also just throwing it on your radar next February. I'll be at the race again, the half marathon and the marathon. So get that on your calendar for next February. All right, friends, back to the show. I want to circle back to when you were saying like you were getting into dancing and they said like you have to go to Boston like that's where you have to be if you want to pursue this at the highest level do you ever think back to like how that changed the trajectory of your life because you lived in Boston you were taking a day off dancing 
you went for a walk and there's the freaking Boston Marathon. Yeah, it's pretty wild. I mean, a lot of people have asked me over the years if, do I think, like, why me? Or, you know, if I'd only, you know, taken a turn onto a different street or um, any of that. And and I don't think that way. Like, and I, I think that's just true throughout my life. Like, I don't think, oh, well, if I'd only, you know, left the house a little earlier, I could have, you know, and I think that way a little, but, you know, I don't think like, well, I shouldn't have been there because you could really go back a hundred minutes, right? Like you could go, well, if the coffee pot took five mm-hmm. extra seconds and if, you know, it, and I just don't think that way. Um, it was such a horrific event and I don't, I've never been somebody who believes everything happens for a reason. I, I've just, I'm just not that way of thinking. I don't think there's a reason why little kids get shot in classrooms. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a reason my leg got blown off by a terrorist. I don't think there's a reason why, you know, I think that's a security blanket that a lot of people carry around when they need a reason why bad things happen to good people. And it's the same thing that I believe, why I don't believe in karma. Because if you think, people will say, oh, well, karma will get him to the person that did this to me, the monster whose name I never say. And if they say, oh, well, karma will get him. I'm like, well, what if you really truly believe in karma? Like if you, if you really believe in karma to your to what you're saying, do you believe in karma? Then you believe that I deserve this too, right? Mm. Because because if you believe that, well, everything happens for a reason and karma will get him because if he do something bad, then karma is going to get you. Then I've had a lot of bad stuff happen to me, but I'm, you know, I like cheated on a test in middle school, but I'm not <laughs> a terrible person, right? So karma's not, it's not, I think that that's just a security blanket that makes people feel better when like somebody cuts them off in a parking spot or something. So I, I don't think back of like, well, if I hadn't moved to Boston, then, you know, my life still may be different or I may still may have made it to first in the world instead of third or I don't, I don't know. I just don't, don't do that. I think that I could really get lost in that, you know, way of thinking. And I try and try and be a solution based thinker of like making the most of whatever situation is in that moment and trying to make the most of whatever that moment is, even if it's horrific and awful. Yeah, we could all get lost in in the what ifs. I think about that with car accidents a lot. Like yeah. if I would have left my house three minutes, if that person would have left their house three minutes earlier, what do you know, the whole thing you were saying, I always think about that with car accidents. Yeah, yeah. Well, and as, as someone who's been hit by a car, like I, you know, it's, it's so hard because like, you know, I was on my way to go break up with somebody. <laughs> you were? I was, yeah. Um, and I was, hanging out at my house and I was just having a really good time and was in a really good mood. And I was by myself and listening to a podcast and was like, this is really good. Like, I think I just need to be alone. I don't think I need to be in this relationship and mm. texted said it, can I come meet you real quick and left my door and got hit by a car like within five seconds. Yeah. But I, you know, by the way, I don't, again, I don't believe in karma. It wasn't a bad idea to be breaking up with that guy. Um, <laughs> tried to make that connection. It was, it was not healthy. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I, I just think, you know, we could all go down that road, but I, I, I don't, I just think that occasionally bad things happen and I just happen to usually be there. You were training for the 2019 Boston marathon when that happened. Yeah. Yeah. It was a hundred days out exactly when that happened. Wow. And I was walking in a car without headlight. I was in a crosswalk and a lot of people, 
in the news ran with the fact that I was running at the time. Like I was training for the Boston Marathon and I got hit. And there is in the court of public opinion in the in the Twitterverse, uh, there were a lot of people saying, well, runners never look where they're going and all that. And I was like, I was, I was not running. I was not in my running leg. And I was just walking to dinner. And, you know, I always, always, always look both ways when I'm crossing the street. And all of my friends, anyone who knows me, knows that I'm, I never cross when I don't have a signal because I can't run if I'm not in my running leg. So I can't dodge cars. Mm. If, if a car is coming, I cannot run out of the way. You cannot run in a non-running leg. And so you can't even, ho- like, hobbling fast is not an option. It just does not work. And so um, physically, it's impossible. So because of that, I always make sure I, I have the crosswalk. And I did. And he was he had no lights on. It was going so fast. There was no possible way for me to get out of the way or see him coming. Um, and it was going about 40 miles an hour and crashed into my left side. So into my prosthetic leg. And because that was a car bumper into carbon fiber, which was my leg, which I think the bumper was made out of some type of carbon fiber as well. And because those two materials hit and crashed, I flew like it bounced in a way that material, the only way material, like if it had hit my right leg, I would have lost it without question. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, and because those two materials clashed, I bounced all the way down across the, um, four car lengths of, of, um, of the road. And I'm lucky that there were no other cars. It was at night and it was rainy. Um, and it was like five o'clock at night, five, five thirty at night in January. Um, and it was already dark or getting dark. Uh, and I landed on my left shoulder. Thankfully I didn't land on my head. Um, and it crushed my entire shoulder and my elbow. Um, immediately it was just shards. It was, and it was on the, it was in the crosswalk of Commonwealth and Hereford, which is like the iconic crosswalk. Like how is this real life? I know exactly. Well, when I, when it happened, I was wide awake like I was for the bombing. It, it, I, I didn't get knocked out um, again. And I sat up immediately and my arm was still on the ground. Like it was still attached, but on the ground. And I just screamed help like at the top mm. of my lungs. And then as soon as someone came to me, I was like, why the blank again? Like, why again? Like, I've been through too much. I've been through. I just kept saying it over and over again. Um, and then the fire department came and it was the same fireman that no. came. Yeah. And the same firehouse. It was just right on the corner up there on, on Boylston. Yeah. And came down, same, same fireman, same surgeon. I called the surgeon on my way to the hospital. Yeah. You want the same guy. There. Yeah. I said, you better be there. And he was like, I'm already here. And he was there when the doors opened. I'd love to hear the nurse, the nurses talking. Like, I can't believe sh- this happened again. Like, I just, you know, yeah. the, like, what are the odds? What are the odds? I know. And I was so, I was so much pain. I mean, I was in, when everything happened in 2013, I don't have as, I have memories of seeing it, of, of seeing that my foot was gone on impact. I have memories of um, all of that. I don't have as much memories of pain in mm. my shoulder and my, and in, in my left butt cheek. <laughs> I mm. was so bruised. That was so painful. And my surgeon said that was the most pain I've ever seen you in, which says a lot. And I'm more handicapped from my, from being hit by a car than I am by being blown up by a terrorist. 
just in case anyone thinks of text and driving. Like really, a hundred percent more. Yeah. What are the biggest? Um... This is as far as I, I know. People can't see. This is as far as I can raise it. Okay. I, I can't. Yeah. So I'm. I can. I can't raise it out. There's. I have no uh, rotator cuff anymore. It was smashed, so it's just mixed with plates. So I have no motion. I just have the forward back is fine, thankfully for running. But um, I have no side. I can't move my arm out to the side, which means no more ballroom dancing. I can't get in that ballroom, mm. which is really too bad. Um, that's putting it lightly. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, I can do it. I just have a collapsed arm, which, you know, you definitely can't compete anymore. Um, yeah, it's just – it's that's super tough. But what are the chances? What know? are the chances? Do you think that the re- – do you think that, um, like, not being able to do ballroom dancing – at the kind of level you'd like to has like pushed you into pursuing running more? You know, it's interesting. I, yes, but what's pushed me into running more is than dancing is how healthy it is. Um, when you're pursuing a career where perfection air quote perfection is, is a goal. And I don't say that lightly. I know we all know, especially as women, that perfection should never be a goal. But when you're a ballroom dancer, like you do not show up. I was hinting at this earlier. You do not show up with a, with a broken nail. Like mm. that is, I know people joke about that, but like you do not. And it, we, we counted against you and you do not show up unless your lashes are perfect. And you've spent two and a half hours, not exaggerating on your hair and your spray tan and your, you know, body and your six pack and your, you know, all of these things to get it just right to stand in front of a panel of, five men with numbers that will actually rate what your body is like. I mean, that's, wow. it's, it, it was very unhealthy and, um, and I loved it and I'm glad I did it and it was amazing. And I got to be Ginger Rogers and, and pursue that dream. And I'm so freaking proud and I'm, and I'm elated I did it and I loved it, but also I am so glad I'm out. And, um, and I still dance for performance. Um, and I will always, and I will always own my dresses and I will never get rid of them and I will still put them on and I will forever be spray tanned. I was for the race. Um, but I don't have any interest in competing or, um, or being a part of that, uh, being rated, um, world anymore. So that pushed me toward running is, is the fact that I can show up unshowered and stinky and sweaty and, and show what my body can do and cheer on my individual, um, accomplishment as opposed to, you know, what a bunch of old white dudes think of my body, you know? You know, we, you talked about how you don't believe like everything happens for a reason and, and karma and all that. But I'm curious, like since these big traumatic events happened in your life, what do you make of it now? And how do you see life differently now? Yeah, I, I think when, when you almost lose your life once, definitely more than once, it, makes you I mean it's so cliche especially coming from a motivational speaker to be like it makes you think of everything differently it makes you rethink your life choices but it does you know and um and I remember I think what really was the first thing that I realized I remember being in my hospital room and having visitors come in that were de- very dear friends of mine and family members immediate family members and my parents and such that would say things, I would be like, how's your day? And they're like, oh, it's okay. You know, I met someone or I got a promotion or whatever. And they would say it so small, like mm-hmm. so mouth. And 
they're like, how's your day? And I said, well, like the only thing I accomplished today was going from my hospital bed to the wheelchair, to the toilet seat, to the wheelchair, to my hospital bed. And I'm like, yay, I did it. Like, that was it. Like, that was my only accomplishment. And they were having these major life moments and they were downplaying them. And I remember thinking to myself, because that's all you have time to do when you're sitting in a hospital bed is think. And I remember thinking like, what a waste. Mm. Like, why are you why are you downplaying what you're doing? Like, that's such an amazing thing that you got to go to Starbucks today. Like, how freaking cool is that? I would give anything to go to Starbucks today. And, or like you met someone, like, sure, it might not work out, but like, that's freaking cool. And so I made everyone, much to their dismay, some of them stopped coming to visit. That's fine. <laughs> um, you do you. Uh, this is my requirement when you're in the hospital bed after being blown up by a terrorist you get to say anything yep we'll just do it and so I made people say like without lowering their voices and without lowering their heads to say like I did this today and it was really great you know and I would make them do that and and I swore to myself that when small things happened I wouldn't take it for granted and I have held true to that and if there's anything that has made me more grateful in life more so than anything else that I've accomplished. It's that it's that I can see a little moment and be like, that's freaking awesome. I'm really, really glad that that just happened a tiny moment. So you can imagine like when I ran Boston, I was like, Holy hell, like, I can't believe that just happened. That was such a big moment. Cause when you, when you appreciate these tiny little things, then that just changes your perspective on everything. And like learning how to walk again is like the greatest gift in the world. I just love the message of like not downplaying what you're doing. This like theme that you have here because man, we do that. We really do. I catch myself doing that too. Like I, I still catch myself. It's, it's a, it's a, you have to be a really conscious act, but yes, I, we do that to other people. Absolutely. If you do something that's cool or exciting or whatever, like, you, yes, it's good to be humble but it's also okay to celebrate that with your people and like yeah. make it feel like a big deal. Like why not? Yeah, it really is. And I, I, I want to be around people who are like that. I yeah. really, you can be humble. Like, and there, there is a way to be both, you know, there is a way to be both. And, and it is sort of a fine line, but I want to be around people that are like, hell yeah, I did that. Like, yeah, that's awesome. Like, look at, like I did that. Um, my best friend is opening his own salon suite right now. And oh, cool. Like, Hell yeah. Like you, Corey does color in Boston area, just so you know, like just everybody needs to go. Go. Yeah. Seriously. He's the best. Um, not saying that just cause he's my friend. He's literally the best. Uh, and, and I'm like, yeah, my friend's doing that. Like, hell yeah, he is. Like, that's amazing. I can't wait to shout it from the rooftops. Like I want to have friends that are fans. Like I'm a huge fan of Shalane. I know I'm not the only one in the world, but, um, you know, I, I think we should be the biggest fans of our friends and ourselves, um, because it's worth celebrating. Um, Shalene wrote a really, really kind, uh, Instagram post recently about what she took away from the race. And one of the things that she took away was in the last two miles, she said, um, let's pick it up. Let's pick it up. Cause the competitor in her was like, let's have a strong finish. And 
I had said that I wanted to have a strong finish. So she was, she was making sure that that was happening, which is what a good teammate does. And, uh, and I looked at her and said, I just don't want it to end. I'm not ready for it to end. And she realized that, you know, I, I really wanted to just eat it all up. So we walked a little bit more and, and it's true. I just wanted to eat it all up. And, and I said that I'm having the best day of my life. And she wrote in the post that she had never seen anybody celebrate themselves quite like that. And mm. at first I was like, oh gosh. And then I thought, no, that's, she's right. Like we should be celebrate. It goes along with everything I've been preaching to my friends and family and, and people who will listen, which is we need to be celebrating each other and ourselves too. Like we go through and we're like, what's next, what's next, what's next. But you know, we can still celebrate. And even when, even when we have, even when we have COVID, I'm still like, lounging in my unicorn onesie with my medal on. I saw that onesie. It's awesome. Thanks. When I moved to North Carolina, I found myself like every time someone asked me what I did, like for work, I'd just be like, oh, I just like host a podcast. Like I was like very meek about it and very small about it. And like, kind, I don't know if I was embarrassed. Like that's what I did for a job, but like that it wasn't like any big deal. And not that it's a big deal, but like, I don't know. I was just like, I need to like figure out a better way to communicate what I do without like, like still being humble, but like not selling myself short and just being like, oh, I just like, you know, host a little podcast. Like it's like my little hobby, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I get that. I, I did that with my, and I will catch myself on days when I'm not feeling as secure about what I do or if yeah. I have a bad, well, not a bad gig, but like a, a gig that I did feel like I didn't really sore at or mm. get out at because I'm super competitive with myself and and others I guess too uh, of course but, of, of racing and dancing um but yeah I find myself doing that too when I'm like oh I do public speaking like it's not a big deal and and so yeah it's hard when we you know and then I'll hear some badass woman be like this is what I do and I'm like yeah that's awesome like I want to sound like that but I why do I do that to myself yeah it's hard but but your message with like um like celebrating it like I just I think that everybody listening needs to take that with their day like celebrate what you do for a living like whatever it is you're doing like celebrate that it's not small because our every day can feel mundane and it can feel small and I think that that can be like sort of depressing sometimes but if you think of it in these terms it kind of totally flips the switch yeah. Yep. It does. And, and it, it's important to think of it as like, you know, a lot of people would, you know, you hear this a lot, but a lot of people would give anything to be where you are. And, and so I know when I was in the hospital and thinking like, these people are downplaying their lives. Like, and it's not that I didn't appreciate my dancing career when I had it, but boy, I spent mm. so much of it trying to be perfect. And if I could, you know, tell that girl one thing, I would be like, you are, living the life you wanted to live like that eight-year-old self that wanted to be ginger rogers that day in that living room like look at you you literally own dresses with ostrich feathers like this is it like this is what you want it literally are doing it uh, you're literally doing it so I, I would shake her shoulders and tell her that so if if people are listening and they're like you know shake your shoulders and realize that you're doing everything you can today to live your best life and that's what you need to be doing. And when I was in the hospital and recovering yet again from the car um, hitting me, I I was thinking like, okay, you're not doing anything, but you are doing everything you can in this moment to get better. 
so like on days when you're injured as a runner, you're like, okay, I'm literally, I'm doing nothing, but that is also everything I need to be doing in order to get better. It can be both. I I think I just read this in, um, I know why the caged bird sings Maya Angelou. And it was like, it takes a lot of courage to end up growing up to be the person you always wanted to be. Yeah. And I just, she was quoting someone else, but I read that and I was like, I think if I were ever to get a tattoo, like that's a great message to remember. Yeah, it is. That's a great one. That would be a great tattoo. I, yeah, I. Do you have tattoos? A lot of courage. I have one. Um, and it's, it's, it's like a half of a half of a one cause I'm getting it removed. So it's like needed. <laughs> you have to look really hard to find it. Um, <laughs> I also have to be like half naked. <laughs> I got a tattoo when I was, <laughs> I was 14 and I was bent over a picnic table in Tijuana, Mexico. No. If you think I'm short on stories. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I was in Tijuana for building houses for Habitat for Humanity. And uh, for a summer, like my parents would yell at me for being five minutes late for curfew, but like, sure, go to Tijuana. <laughs> um and yeah, I did. And it, that was not, it was a butterfly, but it was before everyone else got butterflies in their lower back. Oh yeah. It's almost gone. Oh, that's so good. Um, Adrian, there are so many more ways we could go with this. I am like looking at my notes and I think we've touched on like two of them because there's just so much here. Is there anything about like the Boston Marathon this year that you're like, wow, that blew my mind. Like everybody needs to experience this. Gosh, you know, I, everyone talks about the crowds, but until you're until you're in the middle of it running, like I've spectated now that I've fallen in love with the marathon. Uh, and yes, it's amazing. But like when you're in the middle of those crowds, there is, I mean, I, w- I did not have feet on the ground. Like it was unbelievable. And I, I just, I hope that people in their life feel a fraction of the love that I felt that day. Like, I hope people feel a lot more than a fraction, but like even a fraction of that love, like it was unbelievable. And I know all the runners feel that way where you're just like, they quite literally carry you. And and I've heard people say that about the race, but until you actually experience it, it's unbelievable. And I, I had there were so many moments that I remember and I smile and think about like when Shalene and I were at the start and I thought, holy hell, this is happening. Like, cause I wouldn't let myself, I I'm a big realist and it's not that I'm, you know, it's not to say that I thought for sure I'm not going to make the start line again, but as you said, like it, it took a lot. So like anything can happen and I've been stopped so many times. So, um, so I wasn't letting myself wrap my head around it. And then all of a sudden we took off and I was like, holy hell. And I did not talk for like the first four miles or something. <laughs> and I just was like, okay, 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 okay. We're still running. Okay. Oh my gosh. We're still, oh my gosh. <laughs> like it was just unbelievable. And then uh, some uh, race coordinators biked past us and said, wave one just went off. Like you, you know, they'll be coming, pick a side. Um, and then just stick with that side because they'll, you know, wave one comes and they're coming in hot, <laughs> quite literally, like they're fast and they're pursuing, I don't know, OTQ and BQs and all the things. Um, and definitely don't want to, they don't want to weave or like, you know, run into you or 
um, and they're conserving every ounce of energy and dictating, you know, navigating and planning out every step and every breath. And, and so you just don't want to be in their way and you want them to have the race that they should have that day. And so we said, okay, we'll pick right. And, and we stayed to the right and we could hear them coming, which was awesome. Cause it sounds like a herd of runners, you know, and they started to go by and, and even though they're saving every breath and every ounce of energy, you just heard, yeah, two, four, six, let's go two, four, six, let's go Shalane. And of course, Shalane knew like 90% of them, <laughs> um, <laughs> which was awesome to see. She'd be like, that's my neighbor. Oh, you know, and like, oh, I trained with that person in Mammoth or like, it was just, and it was so distracting. I wasn't even thinking about running. Like I just, again, was flying. And the fact that they even wasted their breaths, not wasted, but like used their breath to say good job to us. Um, Cause I had my name on my front, but I had two, four, six on my back and it was just awesome. Um, and that was, it was just so cool to hear people cheering. And, um, and then we got into like the big crowds and people had signs and there were puppies everywhere. And I kept thinking about Fred. And Where was the, Fred? Like, finish line. So because of filming this IMAX right now, I um, was able to have a few people at the finish line and not just in the grandstands, but like on the pavement, which is unheard of. And so cool. I felt super, super lucky that that was even an option. Um, and so it was Harry, my boyfriend, and Fred, and um, my best friends, Corey and Angela, and then Shalane's parents and Jack. Um, it's Jack's birthday today. Happy Ooh, birthday. Happy birthday. Um, so we had them at the finish line. So I knew that like they were waiting at the finish, and I just kept thinking like, I get to hug Fuzzy Fred and be all sweaty and hug Fuzzy Fred at the end. And it was just awesome to see so many people cheering for so many people. So if, if I could tell people anything or any sort of what I want would think people have to do Boston is just to feel those crowds. Like they are electric, like coming through the Wellesley scream tunnel. You know, I was sort of zoned out and Shalane was like, we're about to hit the Wellesley scream tunnel. Can you hear them? And all of a sudden I could hear them. She's like, this is it. Like go on the right side. And, I went on the right side. I mean, they were just. Hey, everybody. A quick break here to thank Lily Trotters for supporting this podcast. The best, the absolute best compression socks on the market. They're cute. They're comfortable. They do their job. You can slip them into any shoes you want to wear. They also have calf sleeves. I specifically love the crew socks. I actually wore them on my run this morning. They have a wide range of compression socks for women and men to help encourage recovery and legs and reduce muscle fatigue. Whether you're running, you're headed to the gym, or just going for a walk, flying in an airplane. These are great for pregnancy as well. Uh, one of my favorites right now is the Silky Solid Periwinkle. It's a different material and it is just really soft and buttery. They're so comfortable. But the socks you see me wearing most are definitely the crew socks. The one I'm mostly into are the Four Kisses Blue Ombre Crew. Love those so much. They have them in different colors as well. So you all can save when you go to lilytrotters.com and use the code IHA for 20% off your order. That's lilytrotters.com. L-I-L-Y trotters.com. Use the code I-H-A for 20% off your order. All right, friends, back to the show. So you ran through the finish line. Let's see. In 2014, you ran the last block with your brothers. I did, yeah. You 
finished the marathon in 2016. I did. Last finisher. finisher. Yeah. I mean, that's that was a tough day. Like that's a piece of this story that like we haven't even touched, but that's crazy. And so now this is the third time that you've crossed the finish line, right? Since. Yeah. Technically like 2014, I ran like the last half block with my brothers. They were running and I hobbled um, in my leg. I was barely walking at the time yeah. and I hobbled to the finish line and then true little sister fashion. I looked at them after and I was like, wow, that was really hard. Like I had done a half a block. Yeah. They were like, okay, Adrian, like (laughs) typical older brothers are like rolling their eyes at me. Yeah. Very, it was, um, it was a big deal because it was, you know, 2014 and it was the year the race came back and the BAA gave me a, a, um, bandit, a legal bandit bib as they called it, which was permission to enter the race with this number. Um, it. so it was, yeah, it was a super emotional. So it was my third time at the finish line this time. The, the, I think it counted more this time in my head. Have those feelings changed over the years? Like what that feels like as you run past the spot? Yeah, definitely. I, it, it has, it's evolved greatly. So I think, you know, obviously there were so many people that were affected by this because it happened at the marathon and there were crowds and runners and families and so many different people with so many different walks of life and memories of their marathon day. And for me, because I didn't know anything about the marathon and I just sort of happened upon it that day, it was a different, my PTSD, therefore my PTSD was a little bit different. Mm. Um, So for people that I know that were down there that I've since gotten to know that had been in the same spot every year with their family, and then that happened in that same spot, have a very different feeling toward that location than I do, because I happened upon it and I didn't even remember really where it was. Um, And and so that is a little different. My PTSD is, is mostly loud sounds. So if someone popped a balloon right behind us right now, or uh, random fireworks or um, big loud noises, then that would be super, super tough. Um, so yeah, it, um, I don't, I didn't find it difficult to go back there. Um, it wasn't easy, but it wasn't impossible for me, uh, because I didn't have it. It wasn't about the, the place that makes sense. Mm -hmm. What did you learn from this past experience? Like this year training with Shalane, running with Shalane, what was your biggest takeaway? Yeah, gosh, I think my biggest takeaway was that it can be fun. Mm. Like I, at first I thought, well, I'm going to run the marathon as a giant thank you to Boston, which we talked about earlier. And then I started running and I was like, this is really hard. Like, this is really hard. And then I had moments of fun for sure. And I loved it. And I had moments of running bliss and definitely the post runners high all the time and all of that. But I definitely at some point had gotten to the point where it was like, oh, I have to run a long run this weekend, or I have to get 10 miles in today, or I have to hit this split, or I have to do this. And Shalane really showed me that you can play running. Like we talk about playing tennis or playing soccer or playing basketball, but nobody talks about playing running. And even though she trains some of the world's best athletes and is definitely one of the world's best athletes, as we all know, um, she also knows that you can't get that way unless you have fun in the process. And so 
she really believes and lives that. And I'm so grateful that she showed me that. So like on days when we needed to hit certain splits and do all, yes, we're hitting mileage and yes, it's hard. And, but you can also have a lot of fun. Like when I got to her place in Lake Oswego, I went out there for 10 days. Um, and she said, you know, come out here and we'll train with Bowerman and, and just get some really good training miles together side by side. And so went out there for 10 days with, <laughs> she's like, bring Harry and Fred. And so we packed the whole fam and went out there and that first run together, she said, okay, well, we're just going to do this loop two times. This is where I trained. And we giggled and laughed the entire time. And yes, we got in hard work and there were hills and it was hard and, but we had so much fun. So I think what I learned the most training with her is that you can have a lot of fun and you can play running. I love that. I noticed you said that earlier. You said play running earlier and I, did I? Yeah, yeah. And I took note of it in my head, but yeah. you actually like just use that in your terminology. Like it, it makes so much sense. It's true. Yeah, absolutely. Like you can take a new route and be like, Ooh, I've never been this way. Or, Ooh, I could weave in and out of like these little sidewalk holes or like I can, you know, and play while you're out there. Like it's so fun. And, um, and, you know, see different things and take in different sites and run with different friends. And um, it's just really fun. And I remember when she, the next day after that first work, first workout we did in Oregon, she said, okay, now we're going to do warm up speed on this hill. You're going to warm up for, ten, what was it, 10 or 20 minutes going straight uphill. The Lake Oswego Hills are brutal and they <laughs> never end. And they're way steeper than any hill in Boston. And said, you're just going to go up as a warm up for like, I think it was 10 minutes or something straight up. And I did. And then she's like, huh, that was the warm up. And she's like <laughs> laughing. And I started laughing because it was just fun, you know, even though it was super hard. And then we did 200s and 400s going up the hill and she was there timing me and then said, okay, now run down to the track and we'll start our workout. And that was, you know, that hill thing was hard and long and it was just the beginning and it was so much fun. Like it was so much fun. And if she had told me, if someone had just assigned that to me and I hadn't learned about playing running, I would think it was impossible. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's kind of like, it should be a no brainer because like, what do we tell our kids? Like when they're playing sports and stuff, like you're doing this for fun and like your whole goal is to like teach your kids like that movement can be fun. And like, this is just a way of life. And it's like, why have we ever steered away from that as adults? Like that should be what it is. Definitely with, with kids, like we do, tell kids that and I'll tell my nieces and nephews and friends kids like let's just have fun let's play like come over and play and and then I put all this pressure on myself for running so I think I definitely put that into practice on race day in order to just soak it all in and and have fun out there and play running for sure and I'm looking forward to putting that into practice and in what's next in the future too like it's something that I am so grateful for um, okay, so you have played a really big part in the, um, incorporating a para division into the Boston Marathon. Yeah. So talk yeah. about that a little bit. Not quiet about that. And so when I ran my first race in 2016, I came in, as we talked about, dead last. And that was <clears> really, um, really healthy for someone like me who loves to come in first and is really competitive. And like we talked about earlier, definitely perfectionist and wanted to, wants to do my best, especially when I'm on in the spotlight or in stage or something. And, and I was definitely under the spotlight in that race. Um, and so coming in dead last was really humbling and, and good for me, but 
then I saw people like Shalane breaking the tape and these races and these marathons. And I thought, well, okay, so I, I know what it feels like to come in dead last. And that was amazing. And Obama tweeted me right after I finished. And that was amazing. Crazy. Incredible. So a crazy cool. moment. It took me five days to respond to him because I Didn't think know if I'm an overthinker. I still claim to this day we would have been best friends if I responded right away. But <laughs> anyway, um, not holding on to that at all. Uh, and um, so I thought, well, I know what it's like to come in dead last. And that was awesome and great and everything it needed to be in that moment. And no regrets at all, truly. Uh, and um, but I wonder what it's like to come in first. Like, wouldn't it be cool to break the tape? Like, they make it look so easy, these pros, right? And I just thought, well, that would be really fun. And I started to look around and I didn't see any opportunities for people like me who run in these running blades. You know, there are certainly amputees who do the push rim chairs, um, but that's not how I run. And that's not how a lot of people run. So there should be an opportunity for all of us. And, and so I started to ask around and I saw that there was nothing in the Boston Marathon. And then I looked at 5Ks and I looked at 10Ks and I looked even in the Paralympics and there was nothing and I was just really disappointed and started to have these conversations. And I was met with a very, very acceptable answer, a reasonable answer, which was, you came in dead last. Like, we can't have a lead vehicle out there for 10 hours and 44 minutes. Like, that's just not possible. So that valid argument, right? And so I got a new leg and a, and a new coach and, um, and started to get faster and faster and uh, started to ask around in my amputee community and, and limb loss and limb difference community and saying, you know, are there people out there who are also runners that want to do this distance? And there were a lot of people out there that were also advocating and, and doing the hard work. And, and I got a lot faster. And, and in 2018, I trained really hard and, um, and was able to pull off like an eight, eight thirty mile, um, at the beginning of the race and then was pulled at, mm. at mile 10 because I had hypothermia and I didn't know my own name. And so that was super devastating, but we were making progress. There were other amputees that were in that race too. In fact, Jackie was in that race, the marathoner who's running the hundred marathons and a hundred, 102 marathons in 102 days. Yeah. She just did a hundred yesterday, right? Yeah, did a hundred yesterday, which is incredible. So cool. Um, and so there were a lot of us that were doing like pushing limits at that time. And, and the BAA pulled me aside in 2019 and said, congratulations, like your, like your inability to shut up. That's not their word, but <laughs> it's basically like your inability to shut up about this has resulted in a new paradivision. And, uh, and I was super stoked. So Shalane was actually in town for a uh, meet. She had already retired, but she was coaching, um, had begun coaching the Bowerman Track Club and um, she was going to be in town uh, in about two days. And I still had like, the BA was like, don't tell anyone for three months until we announce. And I was like, okay. And I told like every person I knew, <laughs> don't tell anyone. And I saw her and, and it was after I'd been hit by that car. And, oh. and, um, and I was barely running at the time. And I said, you're not going to believe this, but I'm going to be able to break the tape at the Boston marathon. And she was like, Oh my God, you're going to train just like me. And I was like, exactly like you, same pace. Oh. Same everything. Yeah. And, uh, and so, um, we started to dream up, like, wouldn't it be cool if we ran together side by side? Um, like, wouldn't that be awesome just to show like what para athletes can do? And, and that's kind of when that dream was planted of us running together was when this para division was, was coming up. Cause she saw 
my desire to to help with this division and and how important it was. We can't be what we can't see. And there are 2.2 million people living with limb loss and limb difference in in this country. And um, it's not a small community. And so it is really important for people to to have that opportunity. I am so excited for you. Congratulations on making that happen. I mean, perseverance. Thanks. Yeah, I I definitely definitely persevered through that and um and you know, not being quiet about that this needs to be a division and um Marlo with the BA was a big part of that and uh it was just it's really exciting to see and then that night after we announced um at the press conference that night um, I was looking at social media and you know, those videos, those like YouTube videos or social media videos of parents telling their kids that they could like one day or they could, they're going to Disneyland or like they're getting a puppy or whatever it is. And everybody cries because the kids are just so happy. Like parents were sending me videos of them telling their kids they could one day win the Boston marathon. And it was, I've never been able to say that without crying. It was like one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. And and um they're still doing training videos like these kids are like seven eight nine ten thirteen years old and they're gonna smoke whatever time that any of us are doing right now because they're training from like really young and you know it's well known in prosthetics now that this is an option for people and people talk about it all the time and it's just really changed the narrative in our world and i'm just so proud of that um being a small part of that and and giving this opportunity to so many who don't have an opportunity otherwise. Is this a division in any other major marathon yet? Not competitively. There are some that have, um, that not that I know of, not that it's been announced competitively, that, um, there are some that have an early start. So, so for instance, like in 2016, we had an earlier start because they thought it would take us longer, which it certainly did. Um, and, or at least did for me. Um, and so you'd have your own start, I think in other marathons, but not not competitive. And you want to win this division. I know you got fourth place. I did. How do yeah. you feel? I feel good. I mean, I was not quiet about the fact that I wanted to win. Um, and I'm not sorry about that. You know, I definitely did. And Shalene and I had that goal for sure. Um, and, you know, that goal never changed, but it, but you have to match that goal with the reality of where you are. And the reality of where I was when Shalane took over was severely anemic and I was having a hard time running without walking often and I could hit paces and she's like, you're really fast in short distances and really you can run really fast and you're doing it. But like to do the amount of work and the, and the, um, and to take on the hours that it would need to be out there. I didn't hit that until like mid March um, beginning to mid-March and obviously the race is in, or I would say at end of February, beginning of March, because I couldn't do the bulk. And so there came a time where we're like, we could still, you know, we both know that anything can happen in a race and you never know how anyone else is going to do. And you can't play defense and running. And our race plan has always, been, was always to win. And our race plan was always to give it our all, regardless of what I could or couldn't do. Um, we knew I would walk some of the hills, um, to conserve energy, to have a strong finish because you never know what's happening in front of you. Someone might have burnt out. Um, and so our plan was to go out conservatively and let everyone else burn out. Uh, and so when we 
we're towing that start line. We're like, okay, like let them go. Like they can, you know, everyone burns out in the beginning downhills and, and we never knew what was going on with anyone in front of us. And so, um, we thought we might be able to catch people and we ended up coming in fourth, but the first two Liz and Melissa who took first and second came in at sub fours. Uh, and that was something that I was not trained and like, I wasn't in a training position to where I would be able to come in in a sub four. And so that felt really good to be able to be like, that is awesome. And I'm so glad that they both, and they were really competitive. They came in really close to each other, which is awesome. Cause I want this to be competitive. Yeah. You want this division needs to be competitive, competitive its first year too. Like, um, they were neck and neck. There were two and they were neck and neck the whole time. So like you want it that way. Um, that's very exciting. We all love to watch sports cause it's neck and neck and you don't know who's going to win. And that's exciting. And that really excites me for the future of this, of this division. And then Jackie and I were only 13 minutes apart. Um, and we're the other two in the race. So like, it was really competitive all the way through. And to tell you the truth, I absolutely could have taken Jackie and I probably would have, um, if I'd known we were that close. Sure. Uh, I was taking my sweet time because I was having so much fun. Yeah. So no regrets um, in my position or in my training or in um, where I was. Like I, I definitely could not have run a sub four at where I was training wise um, because of my iron levels um, and the bulk of what I got in before race day. But I also could have taken Jackie if I'd wanted to, but I also was having the time of my life. So, so no regrets. Um, I don't know if I'll run another Boston. I'm not saying I won't, but I also know that that was the best day of my life. And I did so well in what I could do and nothing will ever beat that. So like, I'm kind of okay with it being my last. That is not an announcement. I just want to be really clear with everyone that like, it's not me saying I'm never doing it again. I may do it next year, but um, I'm so freaking happy with what I did. And that's a great place to be in, especially as someone who's competitive and, and has had a hard time with coming in third in the world instead of first. Like it's a great place to be in to be like, I was fourth and I crushed it. And that is awesome. That's so cool. So exciting. What is next? You know, Shalane said early on in, um, you're the first person to ask me this uh, in an interview. So it's exciting. Uh, Shalane said early on, like, you know, you're really fast and we can't show off that speed in the marathon. Like that's just the marathon doesn't, the distance, you know, low iron or not. Like um, I'm really, really fast on a track, especially, and I'm fast in short distances. So she asked me early on if I'd ever thought about um, trying to get on Team USA and and I was like, oh, casual. Like, <laughs> yes, I've thought about it. Like, all of us are, like, watching the Olympics and wondering what it would be like to have a flag on our back. But um, I said, you know, I'd love to. That would be amazing. Uh, it would be awesome to be in the Paralympics. And um, and we talked about it more and more and, and what that would look like. And she – part of her job as a coach and, and uh, as a really gifted athlete herself is really realizing and being realistic again of where you are and – and what your strengths are. And she thinks I'm a good middle distance runner. Um, and so I'm eager to kind of test the waters on that. As soon as my COVID lungs are a little bit better, I'm going to start. Um, I've already been looking at races and, and start uh, registering for every local 5k and 10k and see where my wheels are in that. Um, and, you know, one of the things that is really disappointing, speaking of abilities and opportunities and lack thereof for people who run like me and look like me is, uh, we only have 
three distances in the Paralympics, and that's 100, 200, and 400. Wow. They're interested in giving us a 5K or a 10K or um, a 1500 or a half marathon or a marathon. And there still isn't. So, uh, even though, you know, I've spoken, um, with the Paralympics about this, um, had a meeting in person in 2019 and, um, have definitely heard them say that I'm such an inspiration for helping create this division and yet they don't do it themselves. And and that's really tough. So, um, I have not been quiet about that because I believe in that can create change and, Um, and so, uh, two days after the marathon, they reached out, um, the IOC international Olympic committee reached out and said, you know, we'd love to have a conversation. And we started that conversation, uh, a couple of days ago. So I'm very hopeful for what that could look like because I want to continue to compete in running and I only have one place I can do that. And that's awesome. And it's the marathon and I loved it. And I'm not saying I'm done. I'm just saying, if you thought it, you being proverbial, you, if you thought that was so inspiring and you loved watching runners like me, then, then create opportunities. You know, I'm getting a lot of race directors from all over saying, please come run in our race. Mm. You're such an inspiration, but they're not creating that division. And, um, I think, well, if the Boston marathon can, can do it on their level, then anyone can. So I'm really eager to see where, where there are opportunities for people like me. But, um, but I, I definitely feel like, Team USA is a big goal and um, there's not too much time before Paris 22. So I hope that they, they start to make some things happen before then. It would be amazing to represent Team USA or even just to spin my wheels on the track in, in competitive running sounds super sexy to me. I love it. So you've done all this like amazing advocacy to get these divisions into races and it sounds like it's heading in a really good direction. Um yeah. Crossed. On the track. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. But like also since everything happened, like you've been involved in limbs for life. Like you've gone on all these trips. You've really like gone all in with advocacy and making sure people have access to the things that you've been able to have access to. Is this just like, do you view this now as like, this is my life's work? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I think I do. i I really believe in, in that, that phrase, like once you see something, you can't unsee it. Right. So being a professional ballroom dancer that, that had, you know, both my hereditary legs and, and, you know, this quote unquote perfect body, right. There's no such thing, but you get what I'm saying. And, and would just move through life with no troubles. Um, and then suddenly I have no leg and I'm navigating this new life and, this, as we talked about dating, like trying to be like in this dating world and trying to feel sexy and trying to feel attractive and trying to find my person and trying to, you know, also be accepted by society and try and have access to legs and a service dog and all these things. You can't unsee a problem when you see a problem. And so when I was in the hospital, I just vividly remember thinking like, yeah, okay, all these dudes are coming in with their like quote robot legs and they have, you know, the Harley Davidson sign on it or like their alma mater or like flames and a skull and you know, all this stuff. And I'm like, where are the chicks? Like, where are my ladies? Like there are no women that are coming in as peer visitors. And I kept asking that. And the companies were like, well, we don't, yeah, we, we don't have a lot of women who are peer visitors. And I had one, 
come in, but she was really in your face. And so the personality, it's nothing against her. It's just, you know, some personalities don't mend well. And, um, but like there really weren't very many people. And so I really noticed that there was a need and a, that I wanted for more women to be out in the media and who are amputees and, and people with limb difference and limb loss. And, and that really fueled me to, to feel like, cause I felt really alone. Mm-hmm. And even though this had happened to a lot of other survivors too, we were all like hooked up to our own beds. So like we didn't see each other, you know, we we're like hooked up to every machine in the book. So like, you don't see each other and you're also going through this mass trauma. So like, um, it was just really hard and, and I felt super alone. And, and so, yeah, when, when companies and prosthetic companies and, and nonprofits and stuff started reaching out, I thought, well, at least then I can be a woman for another woman that wants to see that or a guy that wants to see that or whatever it is um, that wants to see a leg that's a little bit more like a actual hereditary leg um, and help them through and navigate these body issues and these self-love issues and and so I, I don't have it as I thought about doing a nonprofit with this work of being a big sister. Um, and I called it sister legs and I never started that part of the nonprofit, but, um, but I do it just because I didn't, I didn't know how to exactly do it as a nonprofit, but I do it just for fun um, and for being there for people. And, and I mentor a lot of young girls who are, have lost their legs and, mm. and it's just such a, wonderful way to give back to people and and be able to navigate that there's a 13 year old I'm helping right now that is just having a tough time and um it's it's really it's a tender time when you first lose your leg and um if I can be that for those people then yeah I think it's a life's work whether that's showing my face on social media um running a marathon or and inspiring someone else to run a marathon or showing my face in a prosthetics appointment I'm with someone who's just really broken and fragile and needs someone else to talk for them. Um, and I can be that kind of inspiring, then that's important too. That's um, beautiful. Yeah. I, I, I think the worst thing in the world above all the other awful things in the world is suffering alone and um, suffering alone is the worst in the world. And I think that's why a lot of other bad things happen is because someone had to suffer alone and now they're taking it out on other people. And so if I can, if I can be that face on Instagram for whatever somebody's going through um, or in someone's hospital room, then that's a good thing. You are a gift to the community that you're serving and a gift to everybody else. Thank you. Adrian, what is, I don't want to wrap up, but here, listen, we've been talking for an hour and 45 minutes. I, again, I talk to you for so long, Lindsay. You're so, you're such a good interviewer and you're so in depth of everything. And I'm a yapper and I have been locked in my house with COVID for so long. <laughs> like, let's talk for four hours. Sounds great. Oh my goodness. I told my husband, cause for those listening, we scheduled this at noon. And usually when I schedule an interview at noon, I'm like, I can pick up the kids at one because I can, I, there's like a 10 minute grace window and I'm always yeah. the last parent to pick up because that's who I am. Um, but for this one, I was like, look, I scheduled this at noon, but like, you're going to have to pick up the kids. I, so I like was prepared for this one to be a little bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> we like to talk. I like it. I yeah. love it. What is something professionally or personally that you would like to do that you haven't done yet? Ooh, um, 
gosh, I've traveled a lot, um, but I've never seen the Grand Canyon. I would like to see the Grand Canyon. That's just what came to my mind first, which is I've, I've traveled this globe a lot. Um, so that's something I have not done. Professionally, I really want to get back to speaking in person nonstop, full time. I used to travel like all the time. I would be home like once a week, maybe, um, and travel to like Kenya and Ecuador and Nepal and wow. and all this stuff just like constantly before COVID hit. Um, and I really want to get back to that. Uh, maybe not as gone as often. I think that's part of the reason I was single for so long. Sure. Uh, but, but definitely, um, definitely to keep traveling again. I'm incredibly heartbroken this week that my very first speech um, post COVID in over two years was scheduled in person in Portland, Oregon for a group of physical therapists who I have been dying to talk to. And unfortunately, because of COVID, I'm not going to be able to go. So that's been really, I think that's been the hardest thing for me. Um, still doing it virtually, but man. It's so professionally, something I haven't done, I think I I want to do a tour that's not linked to a specific company. So I travel with different companies, so like a bank or a hospital or something, but I don't get to just tell like the Instagram followers or whoever, like, hey, I'm speaking at this point. It's open to the public. Please come. Um, I don't know how to make that happen, um, but I would love to do that. So I think that professionally speaking tour would be amazing, but have it open to the to public because if I'm speaking to like Morgan Stanley or Starbucks or Microsoft or something, you, you can't just be like, everybody come. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. What's your, what's the best, most recent book you've read? Because this is, this question is always so fun for me when it's someone that I know loves to read. You know what I just reread, um, which is really good. And I have, I have all my books right here. Um, I just reread The Soul of an Octopus. Okay. It was really good. And I am blanking at the name of the author, but it is so good. And it's a true story about a woman who is living in the East coast and she lives in Boston and she is, uh, she is the caretaker of the octopus in the Boston aquarium. And if you know anything about octopus, I'm a diver, I'm a deep sea diver. And, um, what are you not? (laughs) (laughs) You're also a deep sea diver. I do deep. Yeah, I did. I became deep sea nitrox um, certified, like just maybe five months after losing my leg. Cause I wanted to dive with sharks. It was like a lifelong so dream. Oh, cool. Um, and, uh, it's random. Um, especially the people on the East coast who like are terrified of jaws. Um, but I, if you know anything about octopus, they're just really cool creatures and can teach us a lot about life and their emotions are like a hundred times more complex than ours. Um, wow. it's really fascinating, really, really fascinating. Um, who is someone fun, motivating or inspiring that you would like to have coffee, tea or cocktail with? Glennon Doyle. Mm. Mm, I would love that. I would love to have coffee, tea. I know she wouldn't have a cocktail or maybe a mocktail. Sure, sure. Um, but like, I think her favorite drink in the world is coffee and mine is very close. My favorite drink in the world is coffee. Uh, so definitely coffee with Glennon Doyle. For sure. Listen, you, problem. you should be on their podcast. I would, oh my God, I would die and go to heaven. The, oh, that'll happen. I mean, I would love that. I've been um, trying to pitch, I was trying to pitch Glennon and Abby to come on my show after Abby ran New York. Yes. And I actually thought I had the smallest chance because Glennon randomly follows me on Twitter, which is just kind of I, weird. Like, I don't I, know why she does. Like, I think it's because I've been follow, like a fan of hers since before she. Awesome. 
know. I don't think she actually like pays any attention to me, but I, I followed her like before she blew up, mm-hmm. like when she was big, but not like what she is now. And yep. so I think I maybe like somehow she followed me then. So I thought maybe just maybe, but I cannot get a response, but yeah. you can definitely get on their podcast. Well, I would love that. They're, they're amazing. I'm a big Glennon fan and I mean, she's incredible. She, that morning that she was getting ready to go cheer for Abby, she tweeted out, um, is there anything I need to know about going to watch a marathon? And I wrote her and I was like, oh my God, now's my chance. Yes. Like, like, Adrian, this is it. And so I wrote her, I I tweeted a reply, which I'm sure I was like, she's never going to see this. Um, and, or she'd see it. She reads her tweets, but like, I didn't think she'd reply. And, um, and I said, it's amazing. Just keep telling and telling everyone they're doing a really good job. And then I wrote, and I think this is probably going to change you too. Cause watching a marathon is definitely changes you as we, a lot of us runners know. And she just tweeted back Adrian with all caps. And I was there er, er, with not all caps with um, exclamation points. And I was like, Oh my gosh. She said my name. She said my it. name. Yep. That was my big moment with her, but I would love to have coffee with her. Okay, I'm gonna send. I'm gonna send a pitch to be like, "Hey, you guys should have Adrian on your podcast." That'd be amazing. Okay, I'm gonna do that. Um, Andy, couple questions. Can Andy Supreme buy an autographed picture? Yes. Doesn't need to buy an autograph. Send me an address, and I'll send one. That's so funny. People have been asking how to get an autographed picture of me, and I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> no either. Get. I don't either. You, you print off the professional oh courtney white i you know i interviewed Hi. courtney recently oh i need to listen to that one. well it's not out it's you're gonna go out before her okay <laughs> but um because I'm, okay. I'm putting you out with this bust. i mean before i got like i did not have covid while she was here but um she was here we did a shoot together oh um, i love it so yeah well yeah, th- you use one of those photos like yeah you, I should. yeah and, and it yeah so good have you ever thought about writing a children's book? What a story of courage and strength. That's from Kay Halliday. Oh, I would love to. So my parents' bookstore started out as a kid's bookstore and then they got adult titles too. And uh, I would love to, for sure. What is your last message to leave with the audience today? Ooh, um, gosh, I would say celebrate the little things. Like it's so cliche to say, but it's also so important because... It's the little things that make a world of difference. And it's the little things that are the big moments. So when you're at the grocery store and you walk by the flowers, you're like, oh, those are pretty. I don't have any special occasions coming up. Like being alive is a special occasion. Mm. Buy the flowers. Being alive is a special occasion. So buy the champagne. You know, like do the things that you need to do to celebrate yourself and your life and all the moments because it is very clear to me and I think to other people too that things can change in a heartbeat and it's easy to get derailed but you can make a lot of things count after things get derailed and turn it around to be something that's really really beautiful and amazing if you celebrate the little moments you can't wait for the big moments and you can't expect it to always go well that's like running it's like running a marathon if you go into your marathon thinking it's all going to go well and it's all going to feel great it's you're you're in for serious trouble um, and disappointment. And it's the same with life. So you've got to go in thinking, okay, they're going to be really hard parts, but I'm going to go through it. I'm going to get through it because I'm going to play the whole time. Going to play. I love that. Yeah. So good. The small moments can be big moments if you make them big moments. Yeah, they absolutely can. So good. Adrian, thank you so much. 
Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you for having me. Thank you for letting me yap on and on. Um, I thank you for letting me keep you for so long. <laughs> no, I'm so grateful. Real, thank you. Real pleasure. And um, I'm a big fan of yours. So thank you for having me. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Adrian, for coming on the podcast. Man, if you are not already following her story, make sure you go follow Adrian on Instagram. She is Adrian, A-D-R-I-A-N-N-E Hazlett, H-A-S-L-E-T over there. She is such an inspiration. Uh, you can find me personally on Instagram. I'm lindsayhine 626 as well as Twitter. Yep, I'm one of those people. I'm on Twitter, at lindsayhine. And uh, Facebook, I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. We have a great group over there. We'd love to have you join that community. This podcast is part of the Sandy Boy Productions Podcast Network, which is the little old network I started in 2019. Uh, I also host a podcast for parents. It's called Why Is Everyone Yelling? Um, having a lot of fun over there. And if you are interested in that type of podcast, definitely check it out. It's similar vibe to this show, but not so much about the running thing. Uh, Thanks for being here. We will see you this Friday on the podcast. Have a great rest of your day and we will talk soon.